podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Good morning. It's lovely to share around God's Word with you this morning. I feel at a disadvantage. There are no fabulous coats or top hats for me. But as Beck has said, we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, you might like to pull it out. We continue our journey through Ephesians. We're at chapter 3 and we are beginning this morning at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Well, this morning we stand on the week after Easter, don't we? After 40 days of Lent and the trauma and the jubilation of Holy Week, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of feeling a little exhausted But it's good kind of exhaustion, you know, it's the exhaustion that you feel after a fabulous, wonderful big event, the exhaustion that you feel as you get back in your car after a wonderful bushwalk, or after weeks and weeks of toiling on a project only to complete it. It's good exhaustion because something good has happened, hasn't it? And in the post-exertion calm, we finally get a chance to ask, what does it all mean? which I think is probably the questions the disciples themselves were asking on this very Sunday after the first Easter. The tomb is empty, but it's not exactly clear what happened or what it means. I can only imagine the relief on their faces when Jesus walked through the walls like a ghost into the room that they'd locked themselves in, in hiding and fear only to lift up his tunic and show them his scars, to prove that he was indeed dead but is now alive. How has the rumours and the theories and the questions hung like balloons all around Jerusalem? How necessary it was for Thomas to ask Jesus to show him 
his scars, to reach out and to touch them. Sometimes seeing is believing. How the disciples on the road to Emmaus were so blinded by everything that had happened that they needed Jesus himself to open their eyes as he opened up to them to scriptures and explained to them everything that had happened. You see, it strikes me that Jesus' post-resurrection appearances were so deeply pastoral. Even after he had vanquished death, Jesus isn't taking a victory lap around Galilee. He isn't doing a post-resurrection tour. He's caring for his friends, coming alongside of each one of them to encourage them, to feed them, to forgive them and to help them process everything that had just happened. What a gift that must have been to the disciples. That Jesus Christ, who had been raised to glory and who was now seated on the right hand of the Father, was still their good shepherd, coming to them and loving them in this moment as he had always loved them. And I think the big events in our life, both the joyful and the difficult ones, are a lot like this. After they've happened, in the midst of the exhaustion, we need a little time to process what it all meant. Like, can, you, can you just tell me again what just happened? And sometimes things take a little while to sink in, don't they? So you're telling me that Jesus of Nazareth was hung on a Roman cross for me? Sometimes it takes a moment to get our bearings. Can you just tell me again, why is this such good news? I imagine that it would have been a lot like that for the people in Ephesus that Paul was writing to. Speak more slowly, Paul. Can you just use a few less words? I get it. God has pulled down the wall between Jews and Gentiles, and you say that this is part of God's plan to create a a new humanity. But what does it really mean? It's not that people are stupid. It's just that when the walls come down that have separated so many people for so long so completely, it takes a minute to wrap your head around it. Because everything needs to be recalibrated. I mean, what food am I going to eat? Is it okay to have Gentiles around at my table on the Sabbath? Do I go to the temple? Do I not go to the temple? Is it okay for my daughter now to marry that man's son? Do we keep doing all of those things that we've always done? And by the way, exactly who's in charge now? And can you just tell me what the new rules are so that I can follow them? Paul's strategy with the Ephesians seems to simply be repetition, variation on a theme. Just keep telling them the same thing but from different angles until the message starts to seek in. In our reading today from Ephesians, Paul tells us that this new humanity that he's talking about wasn't just God's latest, greatest, big idea. It was, it's a mystery, a mystery that God had hidden for generations, but had now been revealed by the Spirit. 
And this mystery was that through the gospel and by the gift of God's grace, Gentiles are now heirs with Israel, members of one body and sharers together in the extraordinary promise of Jesus Christ. And it's all because of Jesus in him and through faith in him that we can now approach God in freedom and in confidence. You see, Paul's heart for the Ephesians is so clear. He wants them to understand. He wants to make plain the mystery of God, the goodness of the gospel, so that they might experience greater freedom, greater confidence as they approach God. And as I thought about what Paul is saying this week, the more I realised that's what I want too. On this side of Easter so close to the reality of God raising Jesus, an event that decisively moved history. That's what I want. I want Easter more decisively to move me. And I don't mean just emotionally. I want more of God's life-changing, death-defeating, freedom-bringing Easter power in my life. So this week I've been longing to ask someone... Can you just tell me again, what is the good news? And God answered my prayer in the most unexpected way. I was reading an article by George Hunsinger. He's a Presbyterian minister and a professor of systematic theology at Princeton Seminary. I was reading an article of his about... um, Bart, Calvin and Luther's understanding of justification and sanctification. And yes, I do need to get a life and trust me, I'm working on it. (laughs) I was reading this particular article and I've got, got to confess, only understanding every second sentence when these words leapt off the page. Once and for all, again and again, more and more. And my heart leapt at the sound of this good news. You see, everything stands upon Christ and his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. And because of what Christ has done, we receive mercy and forgiveness again and again and again and again in our lives. But Christ is also wanting to give us more and more more and more of the fullness and the abundance of life that is his kingdom, so we might experience lives of peace and joy and wholeness and wisdom. Once and for all, again and again, more and more. And the more that I thought about these words, the more encouraged I was, because this gospel of grace is the exact opposite of the gospel of this world. The gospel of this world preaches good things only happen for a special few. And if you're going to be one of those special few, you'll need to be perfect over and over until your life is so focused and you are so hyper-vigilant and anxious that you have to narrow your world down, shrink it, in order to stay safe, in order to feel like you're in control. The gift of grace is once and for all. Forgiveness again and again. More and more of life. Versus the gospel of the world, one chance for the special few, perfectionism over and over again, less and less of life. 
And it's not hard to see, is it, where freedom, where confidence truly lie. But sometimes I look around and I begin to compare myself to other people. Sometimes the voice of my inner critic begins yelling. Sometimes I feel such a deep sense of overwhelm, it's hard to get up in the morning. You see, sometimes the good news of God's grace sounds like a whisper carried on the wind. Sometimes the good news feels like a thread so fine it's hard to catch, like a seed so small it's hard to know how to sow it. I know I'm not the smartest person in the room this morning, so can you just tell me again, what is the good news? For it is by grace that you have been saved, and this is a gift so that no one can boast. God sent his one and only son to die for you, for he loved the world so much, once and for all. And our need as sinners who bear the weight of deep shame, who need a fresh start each and every day, day after day, who need to receive the gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness again and again throughout the whole of our lives. And through this journey called life, we are to grow in our experience of the abundance that God longs to give us. We are to grow to be people full of holiness and peace and wisdom and joy, citizens of the kingdom of God. We need more and more and more and more of God and his goodness. So I say to you this morning, once and for all, again and again, more and more. Shortly after Christopher and I were married, someone came up to us and gave us the following advice that every year on our anniversary, we should sit across the table from one another and hold hands, and we should retell the story of us falling in love, that we should recount every single moment and every single detail that we could possibly remember, all of the twists and the turns. And it turned out to be extraordinarily good advice, because retelling our story is reliving our story. And reliving our story is reclaiming a story that breathes deep love and deep life into our souls. And I actually think this is good advice too for our relationship with God. Every one of us in this room this morning has stories, has memories, have moments where God has showed up in their lives in extraordinary and powerful ways where God's love has broken in and pierced the hardness of our hearts, where grace, unexpected but amazing, has come and visited us. I wonder, can you think of one of those moments this morning? These are moments of grace upon grace, aren't they? Moments when we move from merely embracing, embracing grace to experiencing something of the life of God in a new way from understanding the gospel to being swept up into the gospel. 
This feeling is the closest that I can ever get, I think, to understanding what resurrection might feel like. And one of the stories in my own life that resonate with that happened to me, ironically, standing on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. Christopher and I were on a study tour with Whitley College to Jordan and to Israel. And this particular day, we'd been going to a series of sites all around the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, uh, the place where it's thought that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And in this particular moment, we were at the place um, where Jesus appeared uh, to the disciples after his resurrection as they were fishing in a boat. And in the Holy Land, everywhere you go where there's a significant religious site, the Catholic Church has built a beautiful church. And they're gorgeous, and they're diverse, and they're extraordinary. But it kind of feels like the Disneyfication of, uh, of the Holy Land. And so I went away from the church that marked this holy site where the crowds were, and I wandered down onto the beach. And I looked out over the Sea of Galilee and pictured this particular story that happens in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John in my mind. In the story, the, the disciples are out on a boat. It's dawn. They've been out all night fishing and they've caught nothing. And Jesus comes along and stands on the beach and he says to them, why don't you put the nets on the other side? They don't recognise him at that point, but they do what he says. And of course, they reap this extraordinary harvest of fish. And as they're bringing in their overflowing nets, Jesus is making them breakfast, some fish and some bread on the beach that day. And as I looked down, there were a whole series of small, tiny, round stones beneath my feet. And I just happened to pick one up. It just looked like all the other round rocks on the beach, but actually, when I pulled it out of the sand, you probably can't see this, it's shaped like a fish. And in that moment, I had one of those moments where God's spirit just came to me. And through that story and that place, and this silly little fish rock spoke to me of all of the ways in which he's inviting me to throw my net on the other side of the boat so that I might reap an extraordinary harvest. And how day by day he longs to feed me with fish and with bread and with every good thing. So as we gather here this morning, only a week from Easter Sunday, wondering what all of this means, I want to remind you again about this good news. I want more of God's life-changing, death-defeating, freedom-bringing Easter power to be in my life and your life and New Hope's life and the life of the world. I want you to experience greater freedom and confidence in approaching God. Friends, everything stands upon Christ and his once and for all sacrifice, and it is all a gift freely given to you. And because of what Christ has done, we can receive mercy and forgiveness every minute of every day, again and again. And Christ wants to give us so much more than we currently have, more and more and more of his kingdom and his grace and his goodness. And you already know some of this, don't you? That's why you turned up this morning. 
You have tasted the gospel in your own life and you know that it is good. So my encouragement is that you would remember, that you would recall, that you would relive, that you would reclaim all of these beautiful stories of God's good grace in your own life again today. Because the risen Christ stands amongst us right here. And he is coming to us just as he did all of those years ago to those first disciples. And he has come to care for you, for you are his friends. He's come to feed you and to forgive you and to set you free and to encourage you and to help you process and make sense of everything that is happening in your world. May you allow Jesus to draw near to you this morning. May you run like prodigals into the loving arms of a loving God. Let's pray. God, indeed, today we do thank you for the gift of Jesus. Our rock, our foundation, our cornerstone, the thing that makes sense of all other things. And we throw ourselves at your feet, Jesus. And we thank you for the way that you meet us where we are, that you love us as we are. But we thank you too, God, for this extraordinary vision that you have to change our lives, to help us to enter into the fullness of these beautiful gifts that we have this life more deeply. And so we pray that we would hunger and thirst for more, God. And God, we recognise our own fallenness in the midst of that, the way in which sin has snared us, the way in which we are stuck in patterns and in relationships that are just dragging us down and backwards. And so we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we have abandoned you. You'll forgive us for the way that we have left our first love and followed other voices, that you would restore us and renew us again this morning. So we thank you for the extraordinary gift of the good news of the gospel of Jesus and for every way in which this makes our lives extraordinary. We look to you this morning, God. We look to you and we receive you again. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. I wonder what God is saying to you this morning as you look to Him. I wonder which part of God's great gospel of grace you need to hear. That Christ died for you once and for all. That all of the things in your life that are the source of deep shame, you can lay those burdens down in the loving arms of Jesus Christ who longs to forgive you and set you free. That there is more for you. Wherever you are on the journey of faith, there is always more ahead of you this morning. Let's look to God as we stand and worship together.